0: Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now.
1: You're listening to a classic episode of Lunchtime Movie Review on the MHM Podcast Network. From our original set of reviews from August 2011 to December 2012. And we are the children of the 80s.
2: Back to the Lunchtime Movie Review, where we review the movies from our childhood.
0: Animal House. Oh, Animal House is
3: horrible. We need yeah. to talk about that. Yeah. Right? That is the worst that one. That is bad, man. man. Yeah. They wanted to get the people out of that theater yeah.
2: <laughs> No one's sitting around for that.
3: And you couldn't, because what if they have an actual scene at the end of Animal House none of us have seen? Right. I mean, they
2: may it because turning you can't. It off.
3: You can't Get through that song fast enough.
2: Funny. We're back for another Lunchtime Movie Review. This week we're going to college in 1962. Through the eyes of 1978. With the perfect movie, Animal House. But first, a word from our sponsor. Want
3: to surround yourself with like-minded women? Sick of a male-dominated world? Come to Emily Dickinson College. Here we offer courses women want. Pottery primitive cultures at this college you will not be raped by a man emily dickinson college we understand feminine needs explosion free since 1962 all right
0: women cannot rape jason it's part of the patriarchy rape is a product of patriarchy it's not rape it's called experimentation
2: all right jay you have animal house all right. Animal House is a tale about one group
4: attempting to impose their will on another. Wait. That's Animal Farm. Animal House is about one group attempting to impose their will over another. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> the movie takes place.
1: Plen-
4: <laughs> Sorry,
3: go ahead.
2: This is fun. Go ahead. The- <laughs> the- <laughs> I think it's because Jason realized in the first line that his version didn't get used. <laughs> Uh, the
4: movie takes place at Faber College in 1962's America, a time of innocence before JFK died and the goddamn hippies were in the fucking country. It begins with a fat slob, Kent Dorfman, a.k.a. Flander, and his roommate, Larry Kroger, a.k.a. Pinto, rushing various college fraternities. The fascist Omega House shuns the two and forces them to spend time with foreigners and other losers during their rush party. The two go to the next house, the Delta House, which couldn't be more different. The deltas rush their potentials with beer, fun, and a drunk brother named Pluto pissing on their legs. Eric Otter Stratton, the rush chair, is even damn glad to meet them. Next, Vernon Warmer, the dean of Faber College, meets with the president of Omega House and the poster boy for the Hitler Youth, Greg Marmalard. Dean Warmer wants to kick the Delta House off the college more than a fat guy wants a cheap all-you-can-eat buffet. The dean puts the deltas on double secret probation upon learning the deltas were already on probation and enlisted Marmalade and his minions in his quest to impose his will. During Rotsy Calisthenics, Niedermeyer, another Omega House preppy, bullies Flounder. Brothers Bluto, played by John Belushi, and D-Day, played by the poor man's Dan Aykroyd, devise a scheme for Flounder to get back at Niedermeyer and stick it to the Dean at the same time. The three go all godfather and sneak Niedermeyer's horse in the Dean's office.
3: My only joke so far!
4: <laughs> Bluto and D-Day then give Flounder a gun, To do what we all know what must be done. Unbeknownst to Flounder, however, Bluto and D-Day previously loaded the gun with blanks. Flounder shoots the gun, pointed away from the horse, however.
0: It's because nobody, especially the sons of famous actors, uh, kung fu actors, ever get hurt by blanks (laughs) in the movies.
4: And the gunshot causes the horse to have a heart attack and die in the office. The next day, Dean Warmer meets with the Faber town mayor and resident Mafia Don in Dean Warmer's office while a work crew saws through the horse's carcass. I bet I know what's on the school cafeteria's menu that day. Next, the Deltas throw a toga party as only they could. Otis Day of the Night's play in the basement, beer is flowing, and Bluto smashes a dirty hippie's guitar. He was really more like a
2: folk singer. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Almost like a minstrel. Uh, not that kind of minstrel. I was
2: to say that's... right. That, those are we don't. <laughs> that's do still that. a hippie. Well, that would
0: be racist. <laughs> that is taboo. <laughs> are you going to Scarborough Fair, minstrel? <laughs> like I said, a hippie.
4: The dean's wife shows up to the party upon invitation by the suave otter, and Pinto's girl drinks too much and passes out. Ever the gentleman, Pinto took her home in a shopping cart. Dean Warmer uses the party as the excuse he was looking for, organizes a kangaroo court, and revokes the Delta Charter and confiscates all the Delta's belongings, except for one bottle of Jack Daniels that Bluto drinks faster than Jamarcus Russell can down. Purple drank. (laughs) Drank. Otter, Pinto Flounder, and another Delta upperclassman, Boone, go on a road trip to take their mind off things. Otter picks up a few girls from a nearby college by pretending to be the fiancé of a recently deceased student. The group goes to a bar where Otis Day and the Knights are playing and quickly find out they're the only white people in the place. Shamalama. Ding dong. <laughs> the other bar customers intimidate the guys into leaving, which they do in a hurry, and leave their dates behind like a bunch of $2 whores. Next, Otter is lured to a motel room upon the promise of a little inter fraternity sorority relations. If you know what I mean. And I think you do. <laughs> <laughs> Told you the cheese was coming. (laughs) However, Otter doesn't realize it's a trap until it's too late and gets beaten up by the Omega guys.
5: We can't go podcast without you making a Star Wars reference. (laughs) All right, Jay,
2: we get it. You're a geek. (laughs)
5: Come on, do it like Akbar. You can do it. Do
2: it like comic books and (laughs) sci-fi.
4: To make matters worse. Dean Warmer expels all the Deltas from the school because of poor midterm grades. As a final FU, Dean Warmer informs the guy, uh, guys draft boards of their change of status, making them eligible for the draft. The Deltas are morally dejected until Bluto gives an inspirational speech, one that Churchill will be proud of to rally the troops after the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor. The guys set to work and crash the homecoming parade with the mother of all homecoming parade floats. Ladies and gentlemen, Animal House. Yeah.
5: All right, when did Animal House come out? Animal House was released on July 28th of 1978. It was released the same day as the Burt Reynolds, Jan Michael Vincent classic, Hooper. Uh, also released the same month as Foul Play, Revenge of the Pink Panther, Convoy, and Heaven Can Wait. Convoy. Yeah, and Foul Play is a good movie. Foul Play is a good movie. It has a dwarf. It has to be good. Yeah. And yeah. a fantasy film. I was going to say, it's a fantasy <laughs> film. Man. Yes. Beware of the dwarf. Right. Right. No. Grossed uh, over 141 million dollars. It was the second highest grossing film of 1978, finishing only behind *Grease*, which was the highest grossing film of the year. Finished right in front of <laughs> *Superman: The Movie*, *Every Which Way But Loose*, and *Jaws 2*. And unlike
0: *Grease*, *Animal House* had practically no budget.
5: Right, mm-hmm. *Animal House* was made for I think three million dollars. It was really cheap. Two point seven.
0: Uh, that's that's serious serious dollars. The 2.7 or 141? The 141 yeah. and yeah. 78. No, no, no. 2.7 is kind of e. 1978,
2: a lot was going on. Big news for the, uh, for the African-American crowd. Do 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 do, 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 <laughs> do 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 The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Moments, give the priesthood to, to black members as well as just white members. What, what does that mean? I don't know. That's what I read. Wikipedia says so.
0: Someone very important changed his mind. Yeah.
2: What that means is BYU was not able to... It
0: wasn't Joseph Smith.
2: (laughs) BYU apparently wasn't able to play sports against teams that had black people, that had black players. So as a result, they changed their um, doctrinal policies. Uh, Also, serial killer David Berkowitz, known as... The son of Sam. Son of Sam. Sentenced to 365 years in prison. That'll teach him. (laughs) Garfield makes its debut, and in gay news, (tinyでしょ) the Gay and Lesbian Solidarity March is held in Sydney, Australia, to mark the 10th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. This march, surprisingly, later becomes the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, later incorporating a festival. (laughs) Who'd have thought? In further gay news, nineteen seventy-eight announced as the gayest year ever in music with Saturday Night Fever, number one album for twenty-four weeks. Shadow Dancing by Andy Gibb is the number one song for seven weeks when this film when Animal House comes out. And when those things, when the Bee Gees or Andy Gibb isn't winning, oh, yeah. Grease is the number one song and number one album. That's pretty gay. Yeah. Did you have that album, Jason? Uh, no, only Grease 2.
3: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> the more manly soundtrack. <laughs> right.
2: Laverne and Shirley, Happy Days, Mork and Mindy, and Three's Company are the uh, top shows. So Cocaine's in yeah. Vogue. Yeah,
5: and mm-hmm. ABC, because they were all ABC programs, weren't they?
2: yeah well, you've got basically three ha- or two happy day spin-offs, and then three's Company That's true. I forgot
5: Morton Mindy was? a yeah. spinoff. Well, that's
2: 1978 <clears throat> so Animal House in 1970 what I wanted to, one thing I wanted to talk about is just kind of comedies up to this point,
5: because Patrick pointed out that this was one of the films uh, one of how many films of the Library of Congress? I think they have 5 hundred sixty seven films that have been inducted into the
2: Library of Congress. and what's the basis for why they con- why they induct them into there? Okay, jay got it. Library of Congress
4: has to deem them to be culturally significant.
2: Like Birth of a Nation. What are some other films that they've uh, accepted in? Birth of a Nation. <laughs> and Song of the South. Triumph of the Will. Song of the <laughs> South was actually not inducted. No. no. Uh, Patrick's
3: going really serious here. No, it's Birth of a Nation and Animal
4: House. <laughs> <laughs> 500 times. We just stick
3: to racist films.
5: <laughs> Raging Bull, I believe Goodfellas is in there. Um, I think Usual Suspects is in there as well, just films probably within our lifetime, but Casablanca, Gone with the Wind, uh, generally a lot of well-accepted classic films. The earliest that a film can get in is with 10 years after its original release, so it can prove its cultural significance over a period of time. There's only been a handful of films that get in at 10 years. Star Wars is the the fastest to get in. It got in literally at 10 years, and then there's a couple that got in like 10 or just barely over to 11. Probably like E.T., E.T. is in, but it didn't list it as one of the fastest ones. I, I think Raging Bull was up there, but E.T. got it got in eventually, but not immediately.
4: They have a uh, Scarface from
2: 1932, Schindler's the List, the good Scarface, All Quiet on the Western Front. How many Spielberg films are in there? So we're seeing a we are seeing a trend. Let's see here. Uh, they don't have it that way, but they've got uh, Blade Runner, Blazing Saddles,
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> f- Blade them. Runners,
4: fuck them. Yeah think it deserves to be there.
2: Of course you do. Blazing Saddles, I agree. Well, <laughs> hey, you can even... You call about the gross out. I, I like to call it, this as the first hard R. Right? The first... I'm trying to think about comedies before this that even approached... Comedic hard R is what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. R, right? Yeah, comedic, uh, comedic hard R. Yeah, I
0: mean, Blazing Saddles <clears throat> was considered, you know, really edgy. pushing the envelope, edgy... Yeah, and you look fart. at that, and it's pretty tame, yeah. right? Very They're tame not showing a dude to
3: getting it. jacked off in a little MG up on some mountain. No, pole, they right. even cut
0: out the, you know, the, the 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 great line that Richard Pryor wrote after, you know, in the dark when she's obviously going to work on Cleavon Little, and and you know, it's true, it's true what they say about your people. It's true, and the line that they cut out that didn't make it past the censors was, "You're sucking on my elbow." <laughs> <laughs> That was too racy. Oh man, you know? he's but, uh, a funny black guy. <laughs> now, this is supposed to be Dartmouth College, right? Uh, Chris Miller, right one of the one of the three writers, went to Dartmouth. So, yeah, I mean, he a lot of his contributions were based on his experiences at, at Dartmouth College. So, and then what about the other writers? You have uh, Douglas Kenny went to Harvard, Harvard, and, <laughs> and and that's the stork, and Harold Ramis. Uh, Went to Washington University in St. Louis, a little, <laughs> the one non-Ivy Leaguer, but I guess that is the Ivy League of St. Louis. Of St. Louis. <laughs> and the
5: only writer not to be in the film. That's true. Because he right. threw a
4: fit. Right. Well, they originally cast him, but he was too old
2: for it. Egon. So, no, no. He cast himself. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm
5: going to play this
0: role. No, you're yeah. not. <laughs> we got another role for you. No. So the film, there are no back black clubs anywhere near Dartmouth College, though. No, doesn't say it ain't so. Yeah, and this film—you certainly... Mean, you got two and a half hours to Roxbury before you see any dockies. Well, this this film is this film represents
2: that because as Jay points out in the uh, you go from the Omegas who are all white and they're excluding the minorities and the handicap,
0: right? And then
2: they come over to the Deltas who are all white and have excluded all. Handicap. The handicap, the handicapped and minorities. No, so. no, no, no. The minorities come and sing. <laughs> right, they do allow them in to sing. Shamalama Ding Dong to entertain them. Yeah. Right. Well,
4: getting back to Greg's point, when they were fil- they filmed this movie in uh, Eugene, Oregon, and um, they had they actually had to bus uh, like Otis Day and all the uh, the extras for the uh, bar scene. They actually had to bring in a bunch of the uh, African American extras because there were no black people in Eugene where they were uh, filming the movie.
2: The film comes out in '78, but it's it's um, takes place actually depicts 1962 America.
0: Why do you think they did that? Is well, it is it because the writers are looking back at, at that was about the age that's when they were when there when they were that age? Well,
5: the writers stated that they did it because they felt that was kind of the last time of innocence for America. Actually, the uh, parade is supposed to happen the day before Kennedy is shot. Um, that's how they originally drafted although that's kind of lost in the, the script it's yeah. not really played out that well but they felt that was really before America was really tro- truly <laughs> invested in Vietnam and you had all this uh, discourse of over civil rights and so it was a, a, a more innocent time
0: just simple and innocent you know and when, when, you, and when you still had to uh, drug or trick <laughs> college girls into giving it away right yeah.
2: you know it's the innocent times is when when students were smoking weed with their professors <laughs> Where professors were banging their students, college fraternities were plying 13-year-olds with alcohol and having sex with them, you know, the innocent times back in the, the good old days. Killing horses. Back when, yeah, back when, <laughs> back when white male made everything okay. Those were just shenanigans, Matt. <laughs> right. Just shenanigans. Winking and a nod. The boys will be boys. Right. So, yeah, I reject their premise of innocence in 1962 America. Yeah, for, You know, for, for, back before the blacks got yeah. all uppity
0: about civil rights and shit.
2: <laughs> but that's, what, that's basically what they're saying here. And they highlight not like in
0: 1978 they had to bus African Americans into right. a white neighborhood.
2: <laughs> but they're, and then they highlight this was... was oh, wait. <laughs> through, Apparently in Eugene. <laughs> but they highlight this through the film in, uh, you know, with the jokes by coming in into the all-black club. The... Uh, well, the line is, uh, well, what do you do? And I study primitive cultures, and there's just kind of a wink and a nod about that. I mean, that's...
5: Well, I mean, but that's a good point, that even then, that scene was almost cut by the studio because they thought that blacks would riot based off of being offended by that scene, and they had to take it to who, Greg? <laughs> to St. <Saint> Richard Pryor, <laughs> the spokesperson for all of blacks. Well,
0: because they're... Kennedy was dead. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. And Bill yeah. Clinton, the first black president,
3: was If it Richard years. Pryor
0: gives his blessing, then it's okay. We won't have riots. And what did Richard Pryor say? Oh, he's, yeah, he, he said, I, I think this seems really funny. I'm not offended at all. You know what else is really funny? White people. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, then on top of Richard Pryor, they started to screen it in select locations, and it was just getting rave reviews, so they decided to leave it in. and Like
2: Dartmouth, Harvard, <laughs> <yeah>.
4: Eugene. <laughs>
2: Denver. Yeah,
3: did they take it to Howard?
2: Anything else that makes this film culturally significant?
3: These guys are dicks.
2: That makes it culturally <laughs> significant? No. Yeah. Ooh,
5: well,
1: that, the every,
2: fraternity, the deltas, the omegas, they're all dicks.
5: And every character in the film is essentially a dick, with with the exception of a maybe fl- a Wilder. flounder who's just fat. Yeah, he's just the fat guy. But right. I mean, everybody else is, you know, talks about Shades of Grey and not the book, Matt, that I know you like to refer to, but that they're, you know, they're, they're, it's there's my the masturbation bad Masturbation material. And then there's the, the kind of the protagonist, but they're all bad guys, too. They do some horrible shit to a lot of different people in this film.
0: Yeah, even Pinto, when he finds out she's 13, he's like, all right. Okay, well. Yeah, there's a moment of, ooh. Yeah. Grass on the field.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, because he finds out really quickly. He's like, no, yeah, that's no work. I'm good at it. No, he's perfect. And yeah, then you have to have the right. inner monologue
4: to uh, whether he wanted to bang her or not when she was passed out drunk. before uh, To rape learn- her right. when she's
2: passed that's out? That's right. Rape her, yeah. You have Bluto who does the the peeping, you know the peep scene. So you got uh, voyeurism going on. A lot of a lot of crimes being committed throughout the throughout the film. Shenanigans, match. Yeah, shenanigans. But yeah, they're all. And then at the end, even the end scene is like, we're gonna get back at the college or the dean, and by they're trashing the shit out of the fucking town. the entire town, they're we're we're, we're almost killing hundred dozens and dozens of people at this parade. Right, innocent right. bystander, including children. They needed to stick it to the man, right. which was themselves.
0: Right, because at the end, yeah. and that's yeah. at it the end of the day, and lawyers and they
2: all become and doctors, it, politicians. lawyers, politicians, editors of magazines. They are the elite, and no amount of failure at school prevents them from being successful right. in life.
3: Right. I mean, Otter, in this movie, he drives a, a Corvette. I mean, these are white, so the, privileged degenerates, and you know what? Because they're white Privileged, degenerates, they're going to be okay. You get kicked out of Dartmouth, you go to Brown. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> you have the slum. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's still a few notches away from, you know, a state school <laughs> like that Reitman character had to go to. <laughs> that, that is true, exactly what you're pointing out. And I don't know if that that's why it's in Library of Congress, but it should be because it does show, it, it does have un- truth to it. It does have unintentional meanings. And I'm sure that's not what these writers intended because they're. F-
0: White, you know, Are white. They satirizing themselves probably not. No, they're, they're satirizing not. something that Well, I wasn't like that, right? I no,
4: really a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff that made it in the movie were somewhat
2: autobiographical. So these were things that they actually probably told. Sure. But I don't I, think they get how ironic it is in looking, especially looking back on it in, in 2012. You know, probably in 78, that thought, yeah, this is really funny. But in in 2012, you see how out of touch uh, that whole attitude is. I want to talk about just the story as well and not the plot necessarily because the plot is very very thin um probably intentionally so that's not really why they have the film but just to show these characters but mainly about how uh, who is the lead or the protagonist not the maybe not the protagonist but the who's the lead who's the main the main deltas here because that seems to shift throughout the film
4: Right well I think you got the originally the movie starts off with Pinto and flounder as they rush to fraternity. And when they get in, then it kind of shifts from them to some of the upperclassmen, the boons, the otters, and even Bluto to a lesser extent. You get uh, D-Day a little bit here and there, but it kind of shifts focus from time to time. Yeah, more otter than anything else.
0: Yeah, he Uh, gives the big speech at the end when they're about to get... The certified or
2: right in the in the the administrative
3: hearing or whatever right exactly because yeah. he's supposed to be the everyman that walks around with a two foot dildo waiting to use it on an
2: <laughs> older woman. <laughs> but yeah, they start with the flounder. But it is weird though
0: because he's kind of in the background at the beginning, right? You know, just shaking, glad handing at the when they're rushing and and he doesn't have as, as instrumental a part as you said. Mm-hmm. It starts out with flounder and pinto and
3: and one of the least interesting pinto is as always
2: well. right and flounder otter.
0: Disapp- otter. Yeah,
2: flounder disappears for a big chunk of the film. Right. And he, he comes in to set up the the horse joke, which the whole ROTC thing just was a bad setup. I thought I would have like something else just to set up that that joke. But
3: well, he was hanging out in the van eating some marshmallows. Yeah, that's my one midnight madness joke, motherfuckers, <laughs> and you better leave it in here. <laughs>
2: I have fans. Fan, fan. But they, then he disappears, and then Boone, who you think okay, they're going to really develop this Karen Allen Boone, and and they have this this weird scene with Donald Sutherland, who Donald Don, Donald Sutherland should not should have been cut from the film completely. He should have been named Donner Sutherland and ate himself. <laughs> and then, but they abandon Boone and and Karen Allen, that those, those characters, and then kind of throw it in at the very end. So they just they never really focus on anyone. It's just to me, it was a bunch of. Uh, just bits that they're just showing And here's our ideas I just want to kind of show uh Examples of what these guys do Just kind of these wacky things That these guys do
3: Maybe Maybe the shift too happened Sort of on set Because when you get Someone like uh, John Belushi in, in this film I mean that guy Is Is, is head and shoulders
4: Above everyone else
3: yeah, and he has steals.
0: very yeah. very few lines, right? right. Well, but th- steals
4: every scene. He's absolutely, in. absolutely. Well, the thing about Belushi was he was still and on... and all Sa- the food. <laughs> he was still on <laughs> Saturday Night and Live. A heroine. <laughs> and uh, so he would film the movie from like Monday to Wednesday, Do or Thursday, <laughs> and then go back to um, uh, New York to film Saturday Night Live um, uh, like the rest of the week. So he was splitting his
2: time like from various parts of the country. Well, let's talk about the actors. Belushi. This is certainly a film. That's going to be synonymous with him. There's,
5: there's no question. Oh, I, I would say this is probably his defining role. Man, no, he's like, yeah. well, like for Blues, Blues Brothers, Brothers but but this establishes him as a film actor and probably even gets Blues Brothers made because of this role. But yeah, his, he's that. he's probably most remembered for this film, although he doesn't really say much. Right, every all his acting is mostly facial expressions.
2: But after him, you really the the other actors don't do a whole lot after this so, i mean they they work they have they have films but i mean not real real great careers
5: except flounder who's in midnight madness thank you all right but <clears throat> dr tom,
0: axelrod
5: on tom, tom Holtz, that was yeah. big yeah big tom, part for him tom Hulce was nominated for best actor in amadeus
2: right and then does parenthood
5: yeah i know but he yeah. and it's not right. like he did I, nothing after no this i'm film. saying
2: that as far as career wise yeah. he 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 does and great he does amadeus and well, that's about it. Dean so. Wormer was in uh,
5: Outlaw Josie Wales. Before this. Before this. I mean, Tim Matheson's still acting today. Karen Allen. Well, he's trying so, to act. Yeah. Karen Allen still acts today, although not nearly as often as she used to. Peter Rieger still, and Bruce McGill, Kevin Bacon. They're all still, they've had careers going in 30 years. They've never been leads except for right. Kevin Bacon, but. But I mean, for
2: as, as popular as a film, this one for as well as this did, you thought you would think that maybe this would lend itself to kind of establishing careers, and it, leading men careers of some of these guys. But it
3: may have right after the movie and yeah. the, the choices they made sure. were pretty bad ones. But
2: Patrick, you found kind of who was intended to be casted in this film before.
5: Well, when they wrote the script, they, all, they always wanted Belushi, but they wanted Chevy Chase to play Otter, which is what Tim Matheson played. And watching the film, I can see Chevy Chase giving those lines straight out, kind of in the fletch mode, Very not yeah. vacation mode. Or <laughs> Chevy Chase mode, yeah. I'm just going to say. Well, he he's very slapsticky, and I don't see this as a slapstick. This is more like flesh. no. Back then, he tried a little bit harder. He did try to act a little bit better. Bill Murray was supposed to play. Oh God, what was Bill Murray supposed to play? Bill Murray it sounds like D Day. No, no was- Dan was supposed to play D Day. Brian Doyle Murray was supposed to play the president of the fraternity. Uh, I guess Bill Murray was supposed to play Boone. So wow, hmm. that. Is a completely different departure. I think that you know those different. Uh, Ackroyd well, could have played D-Day because he didn't really say anything, and he was a lot thinner
2: because of blow. But you can absolutely see Chevy Chase even in the uh, the toga party scene with the the dean's wife dropping the dress, and yeah, but
3: almost every scene. Yeah, you can see that being written for yeah. for Chevy Chase.
5: Well, and it's interesting that at the time Belushi and Chevy Chase didn't not get along. They still had a kind of a rivalry. Chevy Chase had left Saturday Night Live. Belushi was not really friends with him at that point. And even the director John Landis, uh, in a meeting with Chevy Chase, essentially talked Chevy Chase out of doing the film, and he went and did Foul Play instead. Um, by basically saying this is kind of an ensemble because he was afraid that if Chevy Chase was signed that they would try to make it focus on just his character and mm-hmm. it would take over the film and kind of change it what, what they were intending to do. So but, just, why,
3: but why not the other actors? Why only John Belushi signing on?
5: Well, that's weird. They they say that um, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd were, ha, had conflicts because they were still doing SNL, but so was Belushi and right. they could have ridden the same fucking plane out. I yeah, guess, I, but, I, I
0: think they probably read the script and thought, oh, this isn't going anywhere. Or, Oops! That or some of the
3: you know?
5: the scheduling for the filming of the skits for and, Night Live, and that's probably what I think it is. Is not is that they were willing to work around John Belushi, and John Belushi doesn't have ultimately that much screen time. But when he's there, he's used very effectively. But if they would have used all three of those actors between the three of them, they're on the screen a lot, and that would have been, would have been real hard as far as scheduling. If they're only going to be there for two or three days a week, that how do you film everything else around them? You know, and just Shoot those scenes. So ultimately, I think they just decided to just go with Belushi, who, who I thought D Day wasn't that important, and Otter, or excuse me, Boone wasn't that important.
0: But they all they all have distinctive personalities, which is good. There's no two characters that are you know that kind of blend in together. Right. So that's good writing, obviously, as well as sturdy acting. And yeah, Belushi steals every scene he's in. But he just he was just an immensely talented actor. You could have a bunch of elephants on screen. You're gonna watch John Belushi. You yeah, know?
2: And he doesn't have to say anything to act really. Right. At all. I mean, his, his facial expressions, his physical uh, stuff, his nonverbal stuff's great. Just like his brother. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's not going to be an orgy. It's a toga right, Anything party. else on Animal House? Yeah, talk about some of the scenes. What scene okay. did you like, what? Jason? Well, I can tell you the scene I don't like. That if I was going to cut one scene from this movie, it would be the pot smoking scene with the professor. Yeah, I hate it. I mean, I, I really hate Horrible. that scene. Uh, but the scene I do like, even though it... It is uh, has that those racial overtones, but if Richard Pryor says it's funny, then I'm 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 cool with it too. I like Purple Drink. So, <laughs> uh, is the one scene where they do the road trip, and I know Matt, you thought that this was totally out of yeah,
2: I would have cut that
3: left field. I I think it's very funny, and it really shows kind of what tolls <laughs> they are that they could go make up a story about a uh, you know being engaged to a girl who died in order to get some dates.
2: It, it was like a it was like a Family Guy, just like. Like a family like guy. A, you know, they didn't
3: have any flashbacks.
2: It was like that, but it was like that. It was like, uh, let's do a road trip, and then they go do that, and then they come but back you to But you can't say it's like Family story.
3: Guy when it's 1978.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's just out of place, and it's it's awkwardly out of place, where he's just like, I know, road trip, in order to have the scene, and then they come back and continue with the story.
3: You know, I disagree. I think it, it, it fits in the movie. They're having problems at school. They just want to clear their heads. And how do these dicks uh, clear their heads? They go out and try to get laid by some women they're never going to see again. And I enjoy that part. And I think it, it adds a lot of laughs, especially when they uh, run into Otis Day again and his expression and what happens in the bar.
2: There's a lot of time for not a lot of laughs.
3: No, I disagree.
4: Okay. Yeah, oh, I, the, okay. yeah the scene where, like, oh, she died in a kiln explosion.
3: Yeah, and they, and I think those... Being that clever with things, to where you can watch it again and go, "Oh my God, he did say that." It is pretty funny. Uh, that that's the sharpness of of some of the writing,
4: and the lines were delivered pretty well too.
3: Yeah, and I and I think it, when you look at scenes, I I like that scene more than I like stupid Otter and Boone trying to play golf out on the field. You know, I yeah. it's just one here. It shows these guys kind of what they are, which is what you do see them as as dicks.
4: My personal is the uh when they sneak the horse into the dean's office. I hit that with you the... You should summer. have worked that into the yeah. Uh, summer. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I really liked it because uh, it, it just shows, like, the classic uh, 1960s, 1970s uh, college pranks that went on mm-hmm. in the time.
3: And when the horse, they do that steal scene with the horse's face is pretty damn funny. Yeah. Of it having a heart attack.
4: And then you get John Belushi going, that horse is dead. Holy! Sh- you know, sh- that whole thing. He just steals that whole uh, scene, even with a horse dying right there. And then you cut to the next scene with... It's in the background. You've got the uh, mayor with the uh, uh, with the dean, and you got the guy measuring the horse. How he's going to get out of the out of the uh, office? It's, Brings uh, a chainsaw. Yeah. It's uh,
5: yeah. And, good uh, subtle humor. Uh, another. <laughs> I you know the scene one of the scenes I didn't like. I don't like the the final scene, the whole parade scene. I just the entire I float parade I, scene. I don't, I don't find it that funny. I think it's you know I don't think there's a lot of comedy in that, and it just seems like. Uh, ultimately destructive. I think the last third of the film kind of flounders. I think there's a yeah. somewhat of a f- plot up to that point. Flounder. Yeah. Somewhat of a plot up until they get kicked out. Right and to the it's end. Just... Then there's a Pinto, an explosion. But...
3: No, but uh, yeah, if, if you talk about the parade scene, if if they're going back in their real lives, all these idiots graduated. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is kind of their what if. Yeah, the, we're really going to stick it to the man yeah. now by showing them what would what would happen if we had to go back and do it all over again
2: but they don't they just took it they were in a fraternity they probably got pretty good grades they probably
3: had no idea how to end this yeah this film and they wanted to go out with a with a bang instead of
5: no the big cinematic ending with a lot of different explosions and car crashes right. and all kinds of stuff But
3: and John Belushi running off with uh, with one of the sorority with Babs I think no I think she he runs off with Mandy Pepperidge oh does he run off with yep. Mandy yeah and they get married yeah that's pretty funny stuff the marching band hilarious band-aid.
5: The marching band gag, right? Yeah, they they have have some
3: marching
2: band gags. That's gold. Tell us about that.
5: That parade song. I heard that's (laughs) a difficult song to... What are they playing? Somebody here been in a band? (laughs) Yeah, they're playing
3: Stars and Stripes Forever perfectly, which uh, is probably one of the hardest marches to play, if not the hardest march to play. And they're doing it And then they have their band humor of... That's funny. The the retarded stork taking over the drum major position, and the band always has to follow the drum major no matter what. Even when they keep trying to run through the wall. Comedy gold, my friend. They just keep walking, even though there's a wall right there. I just replay that in my head every time I get sad.
0: <laughs> it's like that and in, in the watch synchronization where Bluto's watch, of course, is at an entirely different time than everyone else's. <laughs> Those are the two big jokes, I think, that they that they set this scene around. And, and the well, the playmate flying
3: in the little yeah. boy's bedroom, which is pretty funny.
0: Yeah. But, you know, three gags and a long, a lot of, you know, probably blew half their budget right. on that last scene.
3: Yeah, I think that a lot of the this stuff has been so done and uh, since Animal House redone, repackaged over and over again, it it makes Matt upset because he doesn't view this as original anymore, like Family Guy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's so overrated. Oh, f- this film is so overrated. You guys are talking about these gags. Ah, my favorite scene was this. Oh.
0: Is <laughs> a minor. It's, it's, in all minor sincerity, though, laughing. you could make an argument that this is the most influential comedy. Ever, oh, I made, ever made? I mean, the Farrell everything the Farrelly Brothers puts out goes back to Animal House, without without a doubt. Right? Almost I mean, anything Will Ferrell puts out. Yeah, it's kind of got a deviation of <coughs> themes. In and this. Ben Stiller and Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler, because they all get into that gross. Whoa, Adam theater. Sandler.
3: No, that guy's in his
0: league of his own. Yeah, that sorry, guy's no, great. Yeah.
3: Did anybody
2: do a funny voice in this? I don't remember <laughs> that. Nobody went, Shamalama la ma ding dong <laughs> <sighs> No, I agree, with, I agree with the significance of it and the, the genre setting, you know, that it, it did s- establish a new genre. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of anything before that. I mean, Mash arguably, but that was more of a dark comedy. Yeah, yeah, I right. mean, yeah, that's a little more serious. Yeah, and I don't gross and, out. You know, the,
0: and Mel Brooks was, you know, yeah, I think Mo, in, I think in, you're in right.
2: Wheelhouse in the seven early how about, 70s. How about and, Monty Python stuff?
3: No, but you got to think of what this movie was targeting. It wasn't targeting adults. It was targeting that late high school, early college.
5: Oh yeah, the uh, male, market. Right. Right.
2: Before, I mean, the market before, to tap you know, into
5: now. Today it's the market, Your, but back then it was sure, that, films right. were made for adults, right. or They're made for children; they weren't really made for that demographic.
3: Yeah, so. and then you have this this thing come out with young, relatively young. I mean, the, obviously John Belushi is known at this time, but embraced by that uh, by that class of of people going to see this movie, which basically is telling the establishment to go f- themselves. Yeah, if we want to show people masturbating. Uh, a frat guy on scene will do it, you know, climbing ladders, you know, the bombing a parade
2: at the end. This film does have really great nudity. I do want to give it that.
0: Well, and that was very rare in comedies. I, I don't I mean, this may have been the first that really.
2: Well, this had this had three or four scenes very spaced out and pretty kind of long <clears throat> shots versus well, just a, to keep you interested, just a quick hit shot, <laughs> you know, like some of the films would have, you know, some of the comedies would have.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you know, for a decade you had nude love scenes, but they're usually in some type of romantic, you know, right. film or drama. <laughs> and and to have it in, in this type of, you know, potty mouth type comedy, I, I think that was probably a first or very close. And to
3: rushes being a first. in in all those 80s, Absolutely. 80s teen comedies where you just see nudity rampant. Right. right. Yeah, you know, I like it. I still like it. I think it does stand the test of time. Yeah, I give it some crap because it is, you know, white liberals uh, pretending to be fighting the man, which is now themselves. But that aside, I, I do find it entertaining. I do find it funny. I don't even think about that stuff when I'm when I'm watching it. I only right. thought about it because of this podcast and basically every
0: movie is racist. Yeah. Except
3: gremlins. Greg.
0: Yeah. The first time I, I saw this was it had to be in high school. I probably saw it before that, but it was on commercial television. So all the good stuff was cut out. Mm. And but I was you know probably fairly old in high school when I finally you know saw the what would be the theatrical version on either cable or VCR, VHS and and uh, I, I liked it then I, I I still like it it definitely stands the test of time it is a flawed film it's not perfect uh, there's a lot of things that don't work most of the jokes do work John Belushi hits it out of the ballpark and uh, it it has a wonderful moral. If you choose the right parents, it doesn't matter, it doesn't what, matter you do, what you do. <laughs> you will be all, successful. If you if you survive it, all will turn out well.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Which leads us into eighties greed, my friend.
0: <laughs> yes, it does.
2: Uh, Jay. I uh I like this movie. I liked
4: it um probably I probably saw it around the same time you did. I was in high school and then obviously we watched it quite a bit in uh college. Some people took it more to heart than others in college by looking at, hey, we should do that more of a template than um, than a comedy movie. But I think uh, it stands the we test of pick time.
0: Rich parents? We should pick rich parents? Yes. Is that yeah. what? No, yeah. no, you no, know, no. Rich, affluent. We uh, should kill horses. Politically, it couldn't connect the parents. Oh, okay. The horse
4: clearly had it coming, Jason. But no, this movie definitely stands the test of time. Um, it's funny back then. It's funny now. And even after seeing this probably for the 50th time in. Preparing for the podcast, still noticing things that just haven't noticed before. Like an, I didn't notice the um, the school saying until Matt pointed out that knowledge is good. You're expecting something like high fluting in Latin or some sort of really inspirational speech for every college, and you get knowledge is good. In the float, yeah, and the float too, with
2: the uh, the 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 statue's head on the um, the deathmobile. Uh, now the saying on the float. When it was paused, and you're like, "Hey, I never saw that before," because oh, yeah, yeah. I've never paused it in that scene. But what was the line? It was pretty funny.
4: Oh, it's um, when better women are made, faber men will be there, or something like that. <laughs> it was pretty good. It's just yeah, a, you couldn't even see it though. Was, yeah, like, but it's it it it's got a lot. I mean, it's it's a slapstick movie, but it's also got a very dark or very slat or uh, subtle humor that it you was just a don't sinister know. sinister sinister humor. Yeah, sinister. That's a better adjective <laughs> there. It's a very sinister, subtle uh, humor. Uh, it's a
0: potty mouth comedy written by Ivy League fags. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say what it is.
3: Right. With, with the cautionary tale, of Stan of Detroit.
0: <laughs> not not subtle as much as there are layers.
2: There are depth. Yeah. There's things that they were are in the background as jokes or Roxbury, as yeah. well as in the foreground. Right.
4: Right. So, but uh, I like the movie. Stands the test of time.
5: Patrick. Um, I like the movie I liked it when I first saw it I do think it stands the test of time I agree with Greg that it is a flawed film I think it has two thirds of a story where they're the bad guys trying to kick them out and then effectively they do and then the last third is just a bunch of you know skits put together but they're well made skits and I do enjoy enjoy it for what it was I like the characters the message I take from it is the uh, bad guys win. I mean, because <laughs> so, they wanted to kick their asses out. They kicked them out. And ultimately that, you know, like, oh, they trashed our, you know, parade, but they're gone. Who gives a shit? So no, 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 no it's not the bad guys win. I mean, the, the good guys prevail by molesting the bad guy's daughter, <laughs> one of the bad guys daughter and one bad guy's wife. But I mean, it just it's it's you know, there are layers to it, but you pull apart that layer. And I think the last third of the film really doesn't have much of a story. It's just a bunch of scenes. Um, but I still think, I do think it is, you know, very influential in a lot of the films. I, I still think it's entertaining. And every time I watch it, I do see something that I didn't see before. So I do think there's layers similar to like airplane that, uh, you don't see the first time and you see the in with repeated viewings. But yeah, I like it. I think it stands the test of time. And, uh, I think it deserves to be in the Library of Congress. all right. I think it deserves to be in the Library of Cong- Congress.
2: I, th- I think it's I think it's dated. I don't think it stands to the test of time. I think the entire story is thin. It is extremely flawed, uh, and I just think it's completely overrated that uh, the reason people love the film, and I understand why people love it, is for nostalgia purposes, it's because it is groundbreaking because it is it does start off a genre. Nostalgia? Nostalgia. I was two. <laughs> That's not when you Boo! first saw it. You didn't first see it when you were 20. Oh, right, yeah. You saw when you were... Yeah, like uh, 10th grade was such a great yeah. year. <laughs> Never be better. No, I, do, I mean, my
5: toga parties in I think most grade. people
2: do like it for, for nostalgia purposes. I think the fact that Belushi dies very very soon after this, it gets... A little more regard because it's it's a Belushi film. Belushi is you know basically sanctified for dying young. He died like
3: three or four years after this. No, I know,
2: but he doesn't do much much else as this Blues Brothers in
5: 1941. Yeah, but so he you do have hey before you go too far. But that's a good point that they never made a sequel to this, although they intended to.
2: No, and that was my next point is that they (laughs) is that they didn't devalue the brand. I mean, the Porkies. Uh, was a shit movie, right? We all agree with that. <laughs> right. Complete shit movie. I haven't reviewed that no, one. Sorry. Yeah, like, Com- Porky's might stand the test of time. I don't know. but
3: like They didn't devalue the brand.
2: Porky's. <laughs> just, what? But Porky's, Porky's Police Academy. Porky's Police Academy. These types of film. Not only they, they just keep crap and stuff out such that it uh, it, it loses its its effect, I think. So, so much so that even the first Police Academy uh, is conflated with some of the other crappy ones. Like James and, Bond. <laughs> not unlike James Bond, Whereas this one does, it's its own, and it starts off, the one thing we didn't say, this is the first National Lampoon's film. It was a magazine, I guess, in the right. 70s. Um, and this this is the first one. And, and after this, they do what, Vacation and... And then Van, Mil- Van Wilder, <laughs> Wilder <laughs> which is a rip-off.
0: A lot of, a lot of this, this
2: stuff well, is ripped and, and, off. And, and the, the John Landis, stuff.
0: Harold Ramis team, they, right. they combine for a lot of movies, uh, uh, movies. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I get why people
2: regard this film as a as a a classic comedy it is a classic comedy but i think if viewed at just on its own independent of all those other factors it's okay it's it's mildly entertaining it's mildly uh humorous but i don't think it stands the test of time
1: well that's it for today's classic episode of lunchtime movie review please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section on our website and rate it from one to five stars on that page as well If there is an 80s film you'd like us to review, please send us an email at comments at moviehousememories.com with your name, your pick, and your location. And finally, if you are of the social media persuasion, you can look the MHM Podcast Network up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you do, please give us a follow when you find us. On behalf of the whole gang here at Lunchtime Movie Review, thanks for tuning in, and until next time... We have to get out of here, and you guys are invited. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme song for Lunchtime Movie Review, Fireworks, is brought to you by Alexander Nakarada at SerpentineSoundStudios.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, the MHM Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise.